Welcome. It's Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm here with Dr. Rick Johnson. Actually, I'm, I'm Dr. James Beckett. This is Dr. Rick Johnson, but he's a real doctor. I'm a, I was a professor. I have a PhD and he's he has an MD. So my hat's off to uh, Rick and his service in the medical profession in this difficult time. But I also have sponsors, Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So welcome, Dr. Rick Johnson. You inquired about why I haven't dealt with post-serial cards and Jello cards, which I think are amazing collectibles. And I just jumped at the chance to visit with you. And we'll limit our conversation today pretty much to 63, even though for the post and the Jello sets, even though your interest is broader than that and mine is too. But to get a handle on it, we're going to deal with 63 but welcome to the show, Rick, and uh, tell us how you got to this point in your hobby journey where you were, became enamored of the, the post and jello cards. Thank you. Like so many folks, I started collecting cards when I was a kid, and uh, my first pack that I bought was probably early 1970s, around 1970 or so, and collected Topps cards through the years, went on to sell them, and then get back into the hobby about 10 years later, and for the last 30 years, I've been adding cards to my collection Initially, my focus was tops because that's what I grew up with. I enjoyed that and got to the point where all I needed in the tops run from 51 through about 1990 or whatever was about 15 high numbered 1952 tops cards. And so because of that, they came, it got became much more difficult to get them. And I started to focus on other things. I looked at variations, but I also started adding to my collection and knowledge about and adding some postcards in. And I'd seen them obviously along the way, but it really hadn't focused on them. And as time went on, I realized that these are tremendously varied sets and the conditions are uniquely hand-cut types of cards that you can find everything from very inexpensive cheap cards to some short printed cards that are harder to find and get and more expensive. I Again, just uh, we've got a, a range of listeners and just to emphasize, we're not talking about postcards that you put a stamp on. These are came on the uh, backs of post cereal and actually the little small boxes of the Jello, Jello with different flavors and all that. And in 1963, it turns out 63 was the last year that those promotions ran. And I, what's your take on that? Do you think it just ran out of gas or they had a three-year or four-year commitment? Or do you have any sense of that? Because again, those were tough sets. And I think in 64, collectors would have been where's the where are the cards on the backs of the cereal or the or the jellos it's part of the beauty of the collecting that the post sets we don't know a lot of the history and there have been individuals like don maybe has written a number of books but there are individuals that have spent a ton of time doing research but yet there continues to be unanswered questions and why they came and went again i'm not aware of that answer maybe others are but I'm not definitive, but I did study it. And Dan maybe was a contributor to my early price guides. He really did the definitive work on a lot of that post. And there are others too. He's not the only one, but he certainly did a lot of scholarly work, and a lot of research. I actually talked to a lot of the collectors that were there at the time. I'm a little bit too young. I did. I remember getting the cards on the backs, but I wasn't. I was more of a kid collector than an adult collector. But I'm just wondering, 63 Fleer, you've got Fleer coming in. And 63 post and jello, and all of a sudden 64, there's no more post, there's no more jello, there's no more fleer. Leaf was a kind of a one shot in 1960. Did did Top step up and say, I just don't know. I'm, it's just very curious to me because one of my theories, shoot this one down if you think. I think in 62, collectors were caught unawares when the jello cards came out, that they came out later in the year. 
and collectors were not prepared. And they thought, wow, what is this? And those are some of the, they're the very toughest cards of all these Jello and, uh, and postcards. But 63, even though these Jello cards are coming out one per Jello, there's a lot of Jello cards out there compared to the 63 posts that came out in panels for the most part. So do you think collectors were shocked when in 62, just putting on your thinking cap there? 62 is exceptionally rare. 63, there's some anomalies, but they're way more prevalent than I would have thought. Yeah, there certainly are. And there still continue to be a lot of 63 Jell-O cards. Obviously, some are much harder to come by than others, but it, it it is interesting, the story. And I, I still love to go back. I love the history of collecting. I love to picture some of the things that, and I picture a grocery store, a little town where I grew up with a shelf full of boxes of Jell-O. And I picture kids going through these boxes of Jell-O looking for the right card. And what's really interesting is in that 63 Jell-O set, there are many short prints. And, and even if you look at today, which cards you can find, there's plenty of mantles and errands and maze. And that's because all of the big names, with the exception of a couple of players, like I think Bob Gibson and Billy Williams were on a larger size box, but they're, the easier cards to find came on the three ounce Jello boxes. And I suspect there were a lot of those sold. The, the short prints in that set were all part of a six ounce Jello box. And because of that, probably not as many moms were buying them, but I still picture going into a grocery store and finding that shelf constantly messed up because... I can just picture these little kids going through the, looking for the mantles, the Killebrews, the, you name it, the Drysdales, Colfaxes, and picking out those boxes, irregardless of the type of Jello, and wanting their moms to buy them. Well, and, I, I'm unwilling to say that it was irregardless of the, of the flavor. I, I think history has shown that the unpopular flavors or some of the things in post as well as Jello drove some of the scarcity. But I was there at the time in the early 60s, and I was one of those kids looking at the stacks. And the problem with both of those products, Post and Jello, they're owned by the same company. Post owned uh, Jello at that time. But you had to flip it over. It, it wasn't facing to you. You had to go to the shelf and you had to flip it over and say, hey, mom. It was actually my mom that shopped. No, my dad was at work. My mom was doing the uh, grocery shopping, which was uh, pretty typical for that day. Hey, mom, can we get this one? It's got Roberto Clemente on the back. The post decision was a little bit easier because you're buying a box of cereal you'd probably buy anyway. Post was not the number one cereal maker back in the day. And so they were using this to compete with uh, General Mills and Kellogg's. But my sense, because I know my mom would have picked up on this, is that the post cereal was not higher priced than the others. It was the same price. It was very competitive. So my theory is that in 64, maybe Post is looking up and saying, this was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and we can't, it, we lost margin. We couldn't, we sold a few more boxes, but our costs went up in doing this promotion. Oh, by the way, do you get into the Post display ad kind of things? Have you, are you an advanced collector to where you look at some of those kind of things? I've seen them and I've read about them, but that kind of stuff is so rare nowadays to right. find it. There's right. like, some of the early stuff, the there was a pinwheel that was described that had these giant 61 postcards that supposedly would sit in the stores above the items to draw attention to it. And those kind of things now are super rare. There's other things like the 62 set had the inserts in the Life magazine with yeah. Richard Burton and right. Elizabeth yeah. Taylor. And yeah, I know to look for that one too, Rick. One of the things that I've talked about in previous episodes is just the horizontal versus vertical. And when a card is horizontal, which these post and jello cards are that's i think that was less desirable back in the day uh, slightly and even now a little bit is that 
because I noticed when you and I were corresponding that the jello cards are not, you can't, they're narrower. They're, they're, that's narrow when you're sitting them down in the horizontal position. They're not, they're narrow in the width as it's sitting down. So they're three and three eighths. And I had trouble because of the, like you said, the mixed, there were so many mixed sets when I bought collections. And is that how you've uh, tried to add to your stuff? Are you buying uh, post and jello one at a time of what you need? Or are you buying some groups? A little bit of both. Groups are a great way to get to upgrade sets a little bit if you can, you know, find stuff. And then nowadays you can turn around and put it back onto eBay or something and people will do that. But some of the cards you just don't find in groups. The short prints are, you need to pluck them up one at a time unless you're lucky enough to find one in a group. But it's... I, I have a counterexample of that because I, ha- I have, I bought lots of collections back in the day, including Post, uh, especially Post, not as much Jello because th- those are, again, those are way tougher. But in the Post, I would occasionally come along a collection that had a cluster of some tougher cards. And it's because that kid liked the bad cereal, whatever. And so he, that kid would have several of these short prints. But my thesis, Rick, is that there were a whole, I always had more 61s than 62s and 63s were there. I had a lot less 63 post than 62 post than 61 post. Jello the other way around. Would that be your experience? Yeah, there's certainly in, it seems seems to be what I've seen as well. What was the last card you needed for 63 post or the last few? Frank Thomas, you know, Aspermonte. Aspermonte is one of the really tough ones. I think I have trouble remembering what the actual last card was. It, you know, may have been a Billy Williams. There's, I'm sure it was one of the high-priced ones, though, because yeah. many of them are easy to get. The majority of the set's easy. But I would say with these 200-card sets with Post and Jello, the first 150 to 180 are relatively easy. And then you get down to the tougher ones at the end, and they tend to be pretty expensive. Yeah, I just, like I said, my theory is that collectors were completely unprepared for 62 Jello. They had no conception that was even coming, even though Jello was owned by Post. 63, I think they saw it coming because there's a lot more 63 Jellos than I would have thought. And I frequently get the mixed uh, groups, and I've uh, posted a few on ComC, and ComC's had difficulty. I think, and you're probably, certainly an advanced collector enough to be able to recognize, but it's to the untrained eye, it's, they're subtly different. In the 63 cards. Yeah. Yeah. That's the funny thing about that set is they look almost, and it's when you hold them, you almost have to hold them right next to each other. The one big distinguishing characteristic is there's a red line, but in the middle of the statistics that in the jello card, it's essentially ends right at the end of the, of the black statistics. Whereas in the, postcard it runs out another nearly a centimeter on each side yeah and once you've seen a bunch of them you can tell it right away but it's it's well, side by side. very similar side by side it's certainly but when they're not side by side and you have the postcard that was poorly trimmed and I, like i said i haven't sent many cards in for grading of the poster jello because i don't know do you have to show margin do you have to have a the black lines have to be there do you have to if it's cut too snug is that edges the yeah, I think people tend to shy away from the grading. I also think it's very inconsistent. Sometimes you read that you have to have all the black lines present, and then you'll see one graded that doesn't, but it or doesn't appear to. But if you're sending one in and it's missing part of the black line, it's probably going to be. I don't know about all the different companies, but I know PSA, the ones that there, they tend to give it an authentic and nothing more, no matter how nice well, they, they, might they, be. Fair or unfair, they're calling it trimmed. But all post serial cards and, and jello cards are trimmed and they are hand trimmed. Yes. Other than the perfed 
cards that came from the from the company, and and those you have to you know, pop out. Yeah, it's. But I think they're. It's. It's. I have to say, Rick, and we're gonna we're coming to the uh, end of our allotted uh, time, but. I, I love the post serial sets and the jello sets because of the challenge. Is that what drew you to them? Because they're not easy to find, especially the tougher ones. Was that the right kind of collecting challenge that you relished? Yeah, I look for I look for things that are tough to find, especially like I said, when you have most of your top stuff in place and you want something new and a challenge that's still maybe not pre-war. That um, these offer a great alternative. And believe me, if anybody looks at a 1962 jello set, they would know that. It's a lot tougher to complete that than it is a 1952 top set, despite all the high numbers. The scarcity of the 62 Jello is so tough, but the 63 Jello is even very difficult. It's extremely tough. And the other thing that I noticed in our correspondence is that you mentioned complete set prices. And basically, most if you can buy a complete set of any of these post or Jello cards, 63 especially, there probably is a, is a break factor discount which maybe shouldn't be there because it's really tough to complete those sets. If you could buy a set, you'd be bypassing. Well, you'd lose the fun of the search, but at at least you'd have it. And just to end on a a note of affirmation that, because I know that we're talking about 63, but 62, I want to affirm what you said. 62 Jello is so tough that I did not attempt to complete it. You are right. It is so tough. 63, both those sets I worked on. I got the post completed. I probably needed a few, I had a master set of 61. I had the 62s, but 62 Jello, I did. It would have, it would have been stressful. <laughs> it would have been stressful because it'd be hard to find and expensive, and somebody could hold you up because the statement of the dealer when you come up and you say, "Hey, that's too high," and the dealer, the comeback is, "Okay, go find another one." And your experience has to be just like mine. 62 Jello. Some of these cards come up not even once a year. Absolutely. You, if you go into some of the places that tabulate all the auction houses and information, yeah. you see that maybe two or three of a, of a given Jell-O card from 62, especially, will come up over a 10-year period. And it's like, because of that, you, you still have a number of people working on the sets and the prices are ridiculous. For And it's not, again, the mantles and the errands, but it's the common short prints that got thrown out or not never purchased in the first place. Dr. Rick Johnson, thanks for your time. I know you're busy and I appreciate your insights and your collecting passion for that. But when we're talking about ridiculous prices for things in 2020, there's uh, maybe those jello cards and their scarcity are not so ridiculous. The man-